What if I told you that the leading voice in international football would fill your hearts with joy, provide you with the ultimate coverage of club and international soccer, and give you every show that you ever wanted to preview the World Cup all the way up to the World Cup quarterfinal, and then go dark? Four months later, Phil Kaidel at Phil Kaidel on Twitter, and Russ Joy, at Joy on Broad, are back to bring you the best in international football. This is Crossing Broad FC. Ronaldo is ready. Strikes. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Crossing Broad FC, hashtag CBFC. You know, you know me, you know Phil. We're here four months, almost four months to the day since our last episode. We were laughing about it before. Uh, we, we are back. Uh, we are quite a few weeks into the international season, and uh, a lot has happened. A lot has happened. Just so uh, people are aware, because I think we need to explain our absence for a little bit. Phil went on vacation at some point in the summer. And then every week since then, it's been a constant uh, push and push and pull, and uh, here we are. I blame I blame uh, Phil being lost in the Bermuda Triangle. I think that's probably what happened. Phil, how are you? I enjoyed my time in Bermuda. I especially enjoyed being on the golf course during the World Cup final and getting updates from the guy at the halfway house who was serving me uh, my drink of choice. The halfway house? Yeah, after. You play nine holes and you're thirsty. Um, they send you to often. rehab? <laughs> That's very good. Um, no, the the drink shack, the drink stand, whatever you want to call it. I mean, listen, golf on a golf course. I call cart, it a halfway house. I call it a drink stand. It's ironic, isn't it? It's not people like recovering from a narcotics addiction. No. The, what you play happening? nine holes. It's an 18-hole round. And halfway through the round, you stop and get something to drink. Ergo, halfway house. But let's call it the drink stand just to move past this. Um you get thirsty. I mean, Bermuda is a warm climate, obviously, tropical, and nine holes on a golf cart is exhausting. So you have to refresh. And so I went in and, and bought actually a couple of, of my beverages of choice. And I asked the uh, young gentleman who was working in the drink shack who was winning. And he said, France. And I said, good enough. And then I didn't think about it again until my round was over and France had won the World Cup. And all I know is that as expert as you and I are, um, you didn't pick them, and neither did I, which is really ridiculous since I picked two teams, completely not in the spirit of prognostication. I took Brazil and then Belgium as my 1A, and they both flamed out. We well, should have known. At we should have picked Germany like I did. Uh, in fairness, too, if you remember, before the World Cup got started, the uh, remember the U.S. men's national team played in Paris, and they took it to the Frenchmen, and I said, man, this is not a, this is not a good omen for what's going to happen to this team in the World Cup. They might actually be mentally fragile enough to pack it up before it even gets started. And boy, was I wrong. It's amazing what a guy like Kylian Mbappe will do and a Paul Pogba who doesn't look like absolute trash. So uh, we, we do have a lot to talk about. The club seasons are in full effect. And we're also going to venture into a, a topic that we didn't talk a whole lot about last year as, as we were kind of wrapping up the club season. But we are going to talk about the TV rights deal, specifically what's been going on with BN Sports, um, with their deals with Comcast and with DirecTV as well as some of the initial coverage impressions that we've had uh, about Serie A on ESPN Plus and um, 
what else am I missing? Oh, and of course, BR Live and Turner's coverage of the Champions League, which has been uh, met with mixed reviews so far throughout the season. So uh, that'll be a little bit later. I do want to shout out two people, though, because in the uh, in the idea of, of making sure that we're fair here, there were two people who have... Uh, no, let's go with three people. Three people during our hiatus who were genuinely concerned about our show. And um, so, so let's get to them. Uh, on... August 31st, Frank Barber said on Twitter, so whatever happened to Crossing Broad FC? And then tagged us. On September 22nd, Vincent Hale said, when is Crossing Broad FC coming back? On October 3rd, Joe Stringer at jstring72 or 712 on Twitter said, have there been any new episodes of Crossing Broad FC? The last I see is July 5th. I even unsubscribed and resubscribed. If there haven't, I apologize. I know you guys are busy over there. P.S. The new Champions League coverage blows. Well, guess what? Frank, Vince, and Joe, we are back. And we are better than ever because, of course, we are going to uh, be hitting on all of the major leagues. And so uh, with that in mind, why don't we get the, the most local story out of the way since I said major league. And that, of course, is major league soccer. Why don't we uh, take on what happened in the Philadelphia Union, our local club, the team that you and I have both spent money on at some point in our, in our lives. I used to have season tickets. Did you? I don't remember. I never had season tickets, but my son really got wrapped up in the union's drive for the playoffs this year. And we ended up sitting with the Sons of Ben twice this summer. And I ended up in one of their month wrap-up hype videos flying the city of Philadelphia and Sons of Ben flag after a goal was scored for about a second and a half. Let me tell you something, the old story, that the camera adds 10 pounds. I don't know how many cameras they put on me. It was not flattering. <laughs> and I was very sweaty because it was July. But we had a great grand old time, and we really enjoyed the product. And, of course, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. First of all, uh, the season crashed and burned ignominiously. But secondly, uh, after you go to the second union match, you can be sure that the union season ticket people will be calling your home on the order of every other day until you tell them you're not coming. I actually thought they were going to call after the first goal went in. Um, so for for those who might have kept up or might not have kept up, of course, the union schedule ended unceremoniously with back-to-back losses at NYCFC. They actually had the chance in the final, uh, it was decision day. They had the opportunity, had they won, they could have come out with the uh, third seed in the Eastern Conference. They would have hosted a playoff game. And instead, they came up incredibly small. They lost 3-1. So they had to go back to NYCFC again, which is played on a microfield. And uh, they lost again. And and really, I think the second game was actually more of a slaughter. I think it kind of spoke a, l- a little bit more to what I would call tactical ineptitude by Jim Curtin, playing a, a double pivot system with, with uh, two defensive holding mids in there, uh, including one being Warren Creval, uh, moving Alejandro Bedoya out to the right wing, which some people had called for throughout the season, um, but at the expense of putting Creval in and not starting El Senio until I believe it was the start of the second half. I don't remember. It was a, a few. Uh, it was a while ago, but um, Ilsenio, who is best equipped to play on on a small pitch in small spaces, being a former futsal guy, he doesn't see the field until the second half, and and he certainly got the team going forward and, and got them into some high opportunity chances, some high danger chances. And I thought the game changed when he came in, but again, it was too little, too late. And for a team that you know statistically, in terms of wins and points, had the best season in franchise history. Once again, they they make the playoffs the third time in franchise history, and they're bounced in the first round again. And and really, you have to kind of look around and say, well, you know, culturally, what's the deal? 
Is this something where Jim Curtin didn't utilize his assets to their fullest? Is it a situation where he simply didn't have the assets to make a deep playoff run? Could somebody else have done a better job with what he had? Or are we ultimately going to be, you know, continue to be plagued by a cheap ownership group uh, led by Jay Sugarman, who seems to be in it until expansion ends? And then maybe the league just kind of asks him to unceremoniously back away from the league. I don't know. But, you know, one thing is for sure. Once again, the union failed to capitalize on the Phillies being garbage. And now that the Phillies are, you know, considered to be major players in the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado sweepstakes, uh, among other major free agents, you have to think that the Phillies are going to return to some kind of, maybe not glory, but to some kind of relevance next season. So the union missed out there. Uh, the place wasn't filled. Talent energy wasn't exactly popping full of, uh, you know, new fans and casual fans alike as they made this run to the playoffs. So, you know, I think it was overall disappointing for that team. I don't know if, if you had a feeling either way, but those are uh, a few of my, my musings. Well, to respond to your musings, first of all, it's a little bit of everything, isn't it? But it does start with the fact that the ownership group doesn't spend money. Now, to be fair, they spent money on David Akam, but they spent it on the wrong guy. Akam had one match winner in Chicago, if I remember correctly, and otherwise did a whole lot of nothing. Did he get hurt? Yes, he got hurt. But when he was theoretically healthy, he wasn't particularly effective. So if you're not going to spend a lot of money, you better put it in the right places, and they didn't do it in that instance. As for Curtin tinkering with the lineups at the end of the season, that is a reflection of the fact that the roster doesn't have all the pieces he needs to be competitive once you're no longer playing Minnesota United. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I would not have done the things Curtin did, especially in the playoff game. you got to run what you brung. you got to take whatever your best 11 was throughout the course of the season. That's who has to play. You can't be twisting around based on recent form or the fact that you're playing on a joke of a pitch at Yankee Stadium, which, again, is a total disgrace. Like, this league can't be taken seriously as long as one of its playoff teams and one of its more moneyed teams is playing in a baseball stadium on a soccer field where, really, if you want to get down to it, it shouldn't be an 18-yard box on that field because the 18-yard box ends up about five or six yards from the sideline. So it's not the game as you know it. And so to think that you're going to have meaningful matches. And right now, NYCFC is against Atlanta, which is one of the premier teams in the league. And that's where you're going to play one of the two legs of that playoff series. I, I don't see it. But in any event, Curtin can't be tweaking lineups from week to week and day to day as the season is ending after he's had a successful run and they've won a whole bunch of matches to put them in a the position to possibly host a playoff game. I will say this. I agree with you 100%. Even the matches that I attended in summer when they were on their run and winning regularly, not full. Um, plenty of seats to be had. Uh, even the supporters end, even the Sons of Ben end. I mean, I'm buying these tickets day over day before, and there are noticeable empty spaces. So, yeah, there's a malaise around this club and this franchise that comes from the lack of spending, that comes from the lack of success. And unfortunately, comes from the location of the stadium. As much as I enjoyed Talon as a facility, man, I don't want to go to Chester. And I've said that before, and I'll probably end up saying it again because they're not moving anytime soon. Yep. No, I agree totally. I would not so. fire Curtin, though. But the question becomes, I since would. he's out of contract, that's the thing. Like, since he's out of contract, he's not going to sign a one-year deal because coaches don't do that. They're not stupid. Are you going to commit two or three years to him? I doubt you are. But then who's out there who you trust will take you to another level? I'm not really sure. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I have to think that at some point, you know, if your ownership, you've, you've got to, I guess, it, it really does come down more to Jay Sugarman. Um, 
in, in deciding, and you know, do we really think that we're going to provide him with, with better assets or not? If you're not going to spend, I guess you, you keep Curtin, but, but to me, like, I think you've seen enough of a sample size of what he can get out of this team. And it feels like every year, it, it really has been every season. It feels like the union go out, they, they get a guy. Like, say it was David Akam, or it was David Akam, or say it was Borg Doshkal, who started off slowly and then ended up having a fantastic season. And, and it remains to be seen if the team is going to spend whatever limited funds they have to try to buy him out of his Chinese contract. Or, you know, are they going to try to invest that money into a foreign striker? You remember, they, they did the uh, infamous two-year forward striker, and uh, or forward search, and they ended up with Jay Simpson, who didn't fit their system, the four-two-three-one that they've run ever since Curtin has taken over, and it's never been a thing that Jay Simpson really fits into. But you know, they they splurged a little bit of money on him, and and that certainly hasn't worked out. But um, I don't know who's out there, and it's funny, you know, you look around, other guys that have have left their post or are about to, you know, like you look at Tata Martino, who uh, you know had led Atlanta United to what has been, you know, another great season has probably the the most energetic and and high paced and, and high energy arena in the league in uh you know down there at Audi Field down in, in Atlanta. He's walking away from a great situation here and for what? Because he got offered an international uh coaching job. And of course like if you're a manager you jump to that, you know, possibility, you jump to whatever that um uh that opportunity is. And so I don't know. You know, if if you look at what kind of a manager Curtin is, is there going to be another team in the league that's going to look to jump all over him? I don't think so. I mean, is he a guy that somebody thinks about maybe adding farther down their bench? Maybe. But to me, like, I think in, in pretty much any sport, that has to be part of what goes into the calculus of whether you keep a coach or not. If you can't think of three other teams in the league who are going to fire their coach or already have, and your current coach wouldn't even be in their top five desirable candidates, then to me, it tells you that that guy's just not not the guy that's sort of so, a riff on baseball's wins above replacement i guess um if you figure you can get just about anybody with the same level of experience and you don't even need the guy to have much of a name and he'll come in and get you about the same result as Curtin got that probably decides it for you because again you're not going to get him to come back for one year or even 18 months like he's going to want two or three years especially coming off a of playoff season which you know the ownership group won't want to hear hey, we just made the playoffs, give me a longer contract. They're not going to want to hear that because the way it ended. But if you're Curtin or Curtin's representative, you're going to say, hey, that's not fair. This was one of the most successful seasons this club has ever had, and Mm -hmm. he deserves to be paid as such. So all of those circumstances coalescing together suggest that it's more likely than not that he won't be back. We'll have to see what Ernst Tanner decides to do, right? I I don't even think Ernst Tanner was in place the last time that we recorded, that Ernie Stewart moved on to the – men's national team GM job, the newly created position, and Ernst Tanner took over. Is it possible that he brings somebody in from his time abroad and, you know, that guy ends up kind of leading another culture change? Like, maybe. I, I don't know. I just think that, like, after so many years of rolling out the same thing, you need to get a better tactical mind in here. I, To me, I don't think Curtin has that tactical mind. I think he might understand what it's like to to be in Philadelphia and to understand the the culture that goes into you know, what fans are looking for. And I think there is something to be said for that. And and to that end, you know, there's part of me that thinks in in a, uh, you know, emotionless kind of move, you know, if Curtin were willing to accept a, a job on the bench or within the organization, like, I think there is something of value in that. And especially for Tanner, who, you know, isn't, isn't a Philly guy, right, uh, is an international, you know, maybe it, it goes a long way 
to understanding the mentality of the town or how to market, um, you know, the kind of player that, that the fans are looking for. Like maybe keeping Curtin within the organization makes sense, but I, I just don't see his fit uh, at the end of the bench. I really don't. And I hope the team moves on and I hope he lands on his feet wherever he goes. I just don't think that this is a marriage that's going to lead to, you know, an MLS cup. And once again, they made the U.S. Open Cup final and they came up incredibly small. And it felt like, you know, you can have the most wins or the most points in franchise history. But ultimately, if in the biggest spots, which would be the U.S. Open Cup final, the final game of the regular season when you had the ability to get that home field game and your only playoff game, you know, winning in, they came up small. Those were probably three of their worst games that they played this this season. So, you know, if it's a player mentality thing, if it's them not being mentally tough enough, well, then as a coach, you've got to make sure that you get your guys ready. So I, I think while he might be a decent regular season coach, he might be, you know, OK in the locker room. I just don't see it. It's so. weird to think that if they had won that U.S. Open Cup, he'd probably already have signed a new contract or would be in the works to getting one. Yeah, I think um, you're probably right. That's just one result, right? It's yep. just one cup result. It's not even a league result. It's not a league playoff match. But if they had won that U.S. Open Cup, it becomes that narrative of something we can build from, uh, build a culture of winning. We'd never won anything before. Now we have. We have the coach. We're going to go get the players. We're going to go kick some ass. Well, unfortunately, you're right. They had... Three standout matches, the, the last match against NYCFC in the regular season, the playoff match against NYCFC, and that U.S. Open Cup. And they were dreadful. And it wasn't even that they lost them all. They were abominable in all three of those matches. And unfortunately, you can't replace, what, 20 players, 22 players, not even 11. Probably the coach will go. You know, I, I think while we're talking about the fact that you can't replace X player or X amount of players with somebody, uh, let's jump to La Liga really quick. Because I know that, that we'll have plenty to say about uh, the the EPL, but really quick. So La Liga is essentially a foregone conclusion right now that Barcelona is going to win. They haven't had Messi since October 20th when he uh, broke, was it the radius or the ulna? He broke one of the the bones in his arm. And he missed uh, the Champions League, or not, God, not the Champions League. He missed El Clasico. And of course, Ronaldo, having moved to Juventus, is also, or was also not in that Clasico. It was a very strange harbinger of, of what the future could look like in a few years, a Messi and Ronaldo-less Clasico. And, and it, it didn't have the feel of a Clasico. And in watching it, it, it just kind of felt devoid of that star power. Of course, Luis Suarez was still there, and Gareth Bale was there. But these guys aren't the headliners. They're not the guys that people pay all the money to see. They are, at this point in their They're careers, lead guitarists, but they're not singers. Yeah, I, I would say that they are a solid 1A or a solid number two option, but you know, I think we talked about in the summer. Real Madrid had to do something to replace Cristiano Ronaldo. We knew that you know this move was going to go down. Was it him evading taxes uh, again, allegedly? Was it him running from some other kind of legal issue? Nobody really seems to know. But he moved on to Italy, and Real Madrid did nothing to replace him. There were. Initially, rumors that maybe Neymar, they were going to give a godfather offer to the Qatari-backed PSG. That never came to fruition. Same thing with Kellen Mbappe. There was a thought that they might pursue him. That didn't happen. Um, I think there there have been some other rumors about them targeting guys like Harry Kane. None of this has come to fruition. So what you're essentially doing if you're Real Madrid is you're rolling out Gareth Bale to play wing, which is fine. Like I, I, I said to you at the end of last season, I think you keep Gareth Bale because... God help you if you don't have him and you haven't replaced Ronaldo. And in this case, they haven't replaced Ronaldo, but this team would be absolute dreck 
even though they don't have a good spot in the table right now, they'd be absolute direct without Bale on that team. But you're seeing what happens when you have to lean on Kareem Benzema to be your lead striker. He was always a guy who did the dirty work in front of goal and set up a lot of the clean finishes that Ronaldo was able to execute. But without without Ronaldo to put those in, without somebody to, to step up in his stead, they, they just kind of look rudderless. They started the season by playing a lot of tiki-taka uh, soccer, and, and they were doing a great job with possession. And in fact, they had um, outdone Barcelona through, I think it was the first three or four games of the table uh, in terms of pass percentage completed um, they and, and passes completed within a game. They were playing a fundamentally different style under uh, Julian Lopetegui, but here we are a few weeks later, a few weeks into the season, and, and what happened, Phil? Where's Lopetegui? Won't see him no more. Won't see him no more. You want to talk about a guy who's watched his entire career, coaching career and coaching uh, um, record and, and um, reputation Name. get tarnished. Uh, you know, don't forget a few days before the World Cup, it leaked. Bar- uh, Real Madrid, of course, leaked it themselves, but they put out that Lopetegui was going to take over the team. The, the uh, Spanish Soccer Federation decided that they were going to move on from Lopetegui because he uh, took away from the national team. So they uh, they sacked him. Here we are. A few weeks into the La Liga season, a 5-1 loss in El Clasico, and he's out. So, you know, Real's just kind of in this weird spot, and it looks like Zinedine Zidane knew exactly what he was doing when he resigned the job at the end of last season after winning yet another Champions League, knowing that it was likely that Ronaldo would move on, Bale might move on, and and knowing that Florentino Perez, the the club's owner and, and you know, managing partner, just doesn't do a, you know, he has no patience whatsoever, and, you know, here you are. Real just kind of looks like a team that's in complete disarray. Barca, even without Messi, still looks good. Atletico's been all right this season. There have been a couple other teams in that table that have jumped up to uh, to areas that I don't think I would have expected to see the map. But I don't know. Do you have any takeaways from La Liga so far? Well, as brilliant as Zidane looks in retrospect for leaving when he did, I hate to do it, but I give it to your boy Ronaldo. This was the only way for him to go. It was a good time for him to do it. He had been somewhat marginalized toward the end of last season uh, in terms of just not playing as many minutes as he had before, and there, was, there were questions about whether he could be a 90-minute player for Real Madrid on a going-forward basis. He's not getting any younger. None of us are. So he left on top, and he got out before things got bad. Both he and Zidane saw the writing on the wall much, much longer and much further ahead than a lot of people did. I don't think anybody expected Real to be this bad this early in this La Liga season. But I will say, even though we haven't recorded in four months, I can pull tape if we have to of my saying that the smartest thing Real Madrid could have done over the summer is to offload both uh, Mr. Ronaldo and Bale and Mr. Bale because, you know, this was probably not going to be another Champions League title or La Liga title for Real Madrid, even in the best of circumstances. So if you're going to lose, take it on the chin maximize your assets, especially declining assets, and sell it to your uh, supporters that, look, we have spoiled you people. We have given you everything you've wanted for years on end, and there's going to be a short-term pain here, but if you see it through, and we know you're coming to the matches anyway, if you see it through, we are going to come out the other end of this, and we're going to take advantage of this league once Messi's no longer Messi. Yeah, but that's see, I, plan I, I you I could think sell, and they didn't do no, it. No, you can't sell that, and you know it. That's being disingenuous to to act like the fans of Real Madrid were going to take that. That's like saying, you know, the Yankees are going to say uh, to their fans, you know what, guys, we're, we're going to pack it in this year. The Red Sox look really good. 
we need to offload a couple uh, aging vets, and next year we'll we'll spend some money. Look, I I thought that fundamentally your point about Ronaldo and Bale getting offloaded was flawed. Uh, insofar as like, why would you get rid of these guys? The only reason that you get rid of them is because you recoup that money and then you go and splurge it on someone else like a Neymar and Mbappe. The problem, and maybe the spot that the calculus was wrong on Real Madrid's part is they sold off Ronaldo. They were unable, maybe they were unwilling to part with Bale, but they didn't use that money on anybody of, of any kind of substance. Like look what Barcelona did. They brought in Arturo Vidal, who has been, you know, solid for them. Uh, initially started the season coming off the bench He's been a bigger contributor for them. You look at, at Real, they, they just haven't added anybody. Now, on the flip side of that, I think maybe the thing that Zidane was so good at was developing the young talent that they had. So, like, you've, you've seen, you know, big leaps in guys like Marco Asensio and Casemiro, who, you know, went from being guys that were relied on in, in spurts early in their careers to being guys who are legitimate contributors on this team. Um but like you look at it, Tony Kroos, like how much longer is he going to want to play there? There were rumors about Luka Modric wanting to make a move to Inter Milan before the season. So, you know, you kind of put those things into account. Like Sergio Ramos isn't going to want to sit, sit, you know, back and, and go through a rebuild, even if it's for a single season. I, again, I don't think that Benzema is a guy that you can rely on going forward. So, you know, the, the team has a lot of question marks. And I, I get the idea of wanting to get you know, this team reset, but they don't have the star power. I mean, look at who they even rolled out as as their, uh, their 18 uh, going into the game against Valencia. They had Thibaut Courtois, who they actually spent the money on. They they essentially benched Kaylor Navas, who's won the multiple Champions Leagues. Uh, Ordinzola, Nacho, Ramos, Regulin, Modric, Casemiro, Kroos, Bale, Benzema, Asensio, Navas on the bench, Valverde, Lucas Vasquez, Isco wasn't starting in that game. Ceballos, Junior, uh, uh, Vinicius, and uh, um, Sanchez de Felipe. Like, th- that's not star power, Phil. It's just not. No, but I will say this, just to jump in very quickly. As you read off all of those names, it sort of hit me that these guys shouldn't be this bad. It's not like they're entirely devoid of quality. They are entirely devoid of star power at the very top because Bale hasn't delivered on his transfer fee. But in terms of seven or eight or nine professionals who you should be able to rely upon not to put you in this position that they're in in the league, I don't think Real Madrid were crazy to think that they shouldn't be this bad this soon. Um, And unfortunately, with the managerial void and with their position in the league table, it's probably not going to get better quickly. Yeah, you know, I guess my counter to that is pretty simple. Looking at the table right now, they are in sixth. Is sixth a disappointment? Of course it is. They're sitting on 17 points. They're only three points back of the three teams, Sevilla, Atleti, and Alaves, who, you know, they're surprising to be fifth. Um, but those teams are only three points ahead of Real at this point. Um, and then, technically, they're only four points behind Espanyol, who are surprisingly in second. So it's not like the season's gotten away from Real. I understand why they made a move and why they decided to try to switch up at manager, but... Um, you know, I, I think there are plenty of questions, you know, specifically Lopetegui's style, the fact that he did not resonate in the locker room with the players. Apparently, he was uh, he was more of a hard ass than Zidane had been, not quite as much of a player's manager. And I, and if the rumors are to be uh, believed, it sounded like Lopetegui towards the end kind of realized that he was losing the locker room. Guys like Ramos were going out in the media and kind of alluding to things like that. So once you lose Ramos, Ramos, you know, is the team captain. He's the guy who ultimately is going to dictate the success of a manager. When you have lost the locker room, there is no way to get them back. 
you mix that together with Perez, uh, you know, leading the charge from the top. And, you know, it is a precarious position to be in if you're a manager uh, going into that situation. All that said, um, Real was, you know, rumored to be uh, in conversations with, you know, multiple guys for the job, including Antonio Conte, who, oddly enough, uh there were reports out of Italy that um, Ramos is diametrically opposed to having Antonio Conte named manager, and that is actually uh, stalled talks. So I, I don't know. We're... He's not any more pleasant than the guy that they just got rid of. I was also going to mention very quickly that there was no more fraught time for Lopetegui than the beginning of this season with all the um, change and all of the questions and the loss of Ronaldo that we've already talked at length about. He was in a very precarious position from the beginning of the season, and it could not have gone much worse. I keep coming back to this stat, though, and I know a lot of this damage was done in the Clasico, but Real Madrid have played 11 league matches, and their goal difference is positive two. Positive yeah, two. Yeah, they scored, what, 16 on the season? 17? 16 goals they've scored. Yeah. I mean, you look I hate at, to compare, say it, that's, that that's like rival. Bournemouth's numbers in the Premier League. Like That's the sort of thing that a mid-table Premier League club from a small town would do on a good year. And this is Real freaking Madrid. You're yeah, kidding well, stack, me. Yeah, stack that up to uh, to Barca. They've scored 15, 31 times. They've, they've scored 15 less goals. They've allowed just as many. So yeah, like none of these things are entirely surprising. I guess it's it's just disappointing to be a fan of of Real and to to watch how they've fallen. It's disappointing. However, it's still really early in the se- in the season. Now, there's no guarantee that they're going to get back into this race. I haven't seen anything that's made me think that Barcelona is is going to slip up when you lose the best player in the world. Notice that I've actually said that now. Uh, currently, the best player in the world in Lionel, in Lionel Messi, you lose him and you're still at the top comfortably. I don't see them getting caught. So at this point for Real, it's a matter of fighting for Champions League positioning and maybe getting up to that second spot in the table. And then at that point, you know, who knows? Anything can happen. Barca has stumbled a few times, um, but they've only lost one time in the league. The only other team in La Liga right now to only have lost one match is Atletico Madrid. Uh, they're 5-5-1. Five, five, and one. So, I don't know. I, I think La Liga, maybe there's going to be a little bit more parity from, from maybe like 2-5 to five than we're used to seeing, which is great. But ultimately, I don't really see a way that Barca uh, gets knocked out of the top spot. But again, it remains to be seen. It's still early. We'll, we will uh, keep an eye on the situation. It's funny that we're already nostalgic for the times where we knew that Barcelona and Real Madrid were going to finish 1-2, and it was just a question of what order they'd finish in. And now we are wistfully thinking of those fun times because we now know 11 matches in that unless something really strange happens, Barcelona is winning La Liga, and it's only November 6th. Yeah, same thing uh, I think we can say about Liga and PSG. 12 games played, 12 games won, 41 goals scored, 7 goals allowed. Uh, They are running away with their league, and now it just becomes a matter of, once again, can PSG kind of, you know, put away some of those demons that have plagued them in the Champions League and, you know, actually get to, let's say, a semifinal? Can they make a final? When you've got a guy like Kellyn Mbappe going with a, you know, a, a good Neymar, a healthy Neymar, you know, anything's possible. It it will remain to be seen if they're it's the going to be able to... It's the same problem every year for them, though, and I'm sorry yeah. to jump on your voice, but it's no, the same ahead. problem every year. They don't play any league matches of any consequence. So the only matches that they ever face any difficulty or stakes in are the Champions League matches. And they get tight. You've seen it time and again because they're not prepared to play at that level. And on top of that, uh, you can have Neymar. I mean, he's a wonderful talent, but he's not a winner for me. Uh, 
remains to be seen with Mbappe. He might be the sort of person that could take a PSG deep into a Champions League competition, but that's a lot of weight to put on a young guy like Mbappe. I just don't see where PSG can ever properly prepare and set themselves up for a deep Champions League run when they're just frittering around and, and half the time in their league matches, by the middle of the second half, they're like doing flicks and tricks and just killing the clock and showing off. Yep. I don't think that's any way for a serious club to seek a serious title. And so it's a silly league. Uh, it's a lovely team to watch when you know they're on. But unfortunately, they're on in their own league and they beat everybody to death in that league. And then you watch in the Champions League and they don't look like the same team. Stad Rem, who's uh, eighth in the table, has a negative two goal differential. Uh, OGC Nice is a uh, negative five goal differential, and they're ninth in the table. Um, Montpellier, they're, uh, a, they're they've scored twenty one less goals. They've allowed just as many as PSG. They're eleven points back in the table. Um, you look at teams like uh, um, Lyon and, and Marseille that usually give them a, a little bit of a run, or even Monaco and. And it's just not happening right now. Monaco so, is dreadful this year. Yeah, Monaco has had a bottoming out that only resembles... The only thing I can think of that looks remotely like that, Monaco right now, for those who don't know, who aren't keeping up with the illustrious league, league and uh, they're 19th out of 20 teams right now. They're uh, on a negative six goal differential. They are 1-4-7, and seven, those seven being losses and the four being draws. The only team that I can think of that has had a, a similar kind of uh, drop-off here is Schalke. Um, so if, if I, I don't know if the last time you've looked at the Bundesliga table there, Phil, um, but Schalke has spent most of the season, if not last, uh, next to last. Now I say this and they've managed to scrap themselves up to uh, 14th in the table. But again, for a team that typically has been in contention for a champions league spot, they spent, I, I want to say it was the first seven, eight match days, somewhere around 17 in the table. So, um, it's just been a weird thing. Now, if, if you look at the Bundesliga, which is typically a league that, you know, we always say this is a Bayern Munich league to win and, uh, you know, God help anybody else who tries to get in their way. Dortmund hasn't really been at that level in the last couple of seasons. Well, here we are. And, uh, you know, 10 games into the season, Dortmund's leading the Bundesliga uh, with a uh, positive 20 goal differential. Unbeaten. And, yeah, and they're um, they're up against or they, they're ahead of... Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and of course Bayern München, as well as Red Bull Leipzig, Eintracht Werder, Hoffenheim, Hertha, Augsburg, and Freiburg to round out the top 10. Bayer Leverkusen, who is usually higher up, is 13, Schalke is 14. So uh, Stuttgart, Stuttgart, if you're a Stuttgart fan, sorry, uh, you and Fortuna uh, rocking a uh, negative 18 goal differential. Not a, not a good start to the season, but I don't know if you've been surprised at all by Dortmund, a, a team that sold off uh, Dembele last season, a team that, you know, seemingly uh, without Young was going to struggle to find goals. Um, they've found themselves in, you know, a, a pretty solid position so far this season. Surprise isn't the word. I mean, I've always liked Dortmund, although they've fallen on harder times in recent years. I expected that if Dortmund were going to do something like this, that Christian Pulisic would have something to do with it. And really, he really hasn't. He's been off to a very slow start. He's been fighting a nagging injury as of late. But they are finding goals in a lot of places, and they haven't been beaten in 10 matches, which is not necessarily going to lead to them winning this league and finally dethroning uh, Munich. But it's 
in the discussion at this point, right? Um, Marco Royce is off to a wonderful start uh, this season. Six goals and three assists. Um, they're doing what they need to do. And again, hearkening uh, back to some things that I said months ago while we were still recording on a more regular basis, and hopefully we'll pick that up again now. You know, how long can Byron continue to run these guys out, right? I mean, I said this over the summer. I said it, I believe, last spring. They're not the youngest crew you've ever seen, Bayern Munich. And they're only four points back, but they only have a positive seven goal difference. And they've only scored 18 goals in 10 matches. They're tied with Hoffenheim and Eintracht Frankfurt. And of course, I'm not a language teacher, so you'll do better with those pronunciations than I would. That was actually not that bad. Thanks so much. Point being, they're ordinary right now. Um, that can change. As you keep pointing out, it's a long season and uh, certainly nothing's done. But Lewandowski has five goals for them so far. Hamas Rodriguez only has three goals. They need a lot more from these star players, including Robin, including Mueller. They're not getting it. And I don't know whether it's a function of that side aging, bad luck, uh, for some of them possibly some World Cup hangover, but you know that, that excuse can only last you so far. It's November. Um, yeah, I am surprised that Dortmund have done what they've done. I still would be very hard-pressed to insist that they will be able to hold off Bayern Munich for the entire season, primarily because, as you, I think you indicated already, it's only a four-point difference. Um, and look at the quality of the Bayern's running out. Like, uh, on the one hand, when we talked about Real Madrid, you know, you're saying, like, maybe seven, eight guys. Bayern still has Neuer, Rafinha, Boateng, Alaba, Kimmich, Robin, James Rodriguez, Lewandowski, Müller came in off the bench, uh, Javi Martinez, Frank Ribery, Hummels is still there. Like... This is still a team that that has depth. It, it, you know, maybe to your point, and this is a point that you made last last year. But you know, even in a guy with, like Lewandowski, you know, you have to think at some point he's going to slow down. And it looks like that may be beginning. Um, although he has the potential to catch fire at any point, I I will go out on a limb here and say uh, maybe it's not much of a limb. But Thomas Muller's drop as a uh, as a quasi elite player has been ungraceful and absolutely shocking. He was a guy who, you know, two World Cup cycles ago was looked at being like the next big star and a guy who just had a nose for goal. And if if you look at, you know, obviously he had a massively underwhelming performance in the World Cup. He went absolutely, uh, you know, invisible in in that cup. Look at the start to his season this year and and you just kind of wonder like what what exactly is happening to the guy. This may not be the most apt comparison, but the the guy that just popped into my mind in terms of guys who looked like they had it going and then lost it entirely, Robin Van Persie for a while okay. looked like an all-world striker who could play for five or six more years at a very high level. And then in like 18 months, he was basically done and playing in lower leagues. And I don't even know what he's doing now. Um, these situations that you're describing are very rare. And so when they happen the way it's happened in this circumstance, it's very hard to watch. It's very shocking. It's very hard to understand. But you just kind of have to accept that that's what makes it the greatest sport, right? And that's why these are the best players in the world, because it's so hard to stay at that level. And sometimes it's not through any fault of the player, right? Like you have as much greatness in you as you're born with or that you're willing to work for. And when it's gone, it's very hard to get it back. Yeah. I, I, the Van Persie thing is something I hadn't really thought of, but I, I think you might actually have the, uh, a good idea there. Yeah, God forbid I actually make a good point. I, the other thing I want to make... Something. Real quickly is that there is a bit of deja vu all over again with this Bayern Munich situation. I seem to remember probably three of the last six seasons, Bayern started slowly, 
there were whispers that things weren't right. It wasn't always me complaining about them being old. It was more about injuries or the players not fitting together or bad attitudes or people wanting out, all that kind of stuff. And it might even drag into December and January. And then they would flip that switch and they'd win 10 in a row and they'd win the league again. And everyone would be like, well, what schmucks we were to think this wasn't going to happen again. So while I sit here and say, yeah, they're getting older and yeah, there are warning signs. We've seen this before and it's going to take a lot more from Dortmund uh, to make anybody believe that this won't ultimately be Bayern Munich's title. It might be one of the situations where they only win by two points instead of 11 or 12. Yeah. Yep. I, I, yep. Um, let me just look. We have, I think, three topics that we still wanted to get to. We have a uh, Premier League, the uh, the TV rights. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's go with Premier League next. So this, this Premier League season, I think, so far has been uh, a whole lot of nothing. And uh, I, I want to see if I can fire you up. And it doesn't sound like I did. Um, so City is a team that obviously we expected going into this was was going to run away with things. You wanted and, Barcelona in the Premier League. You got Barcelona in the Premier League. Yep. That's so what Man City are. Uh, Man City, 11 matches into the season. They are still undefeated. They are 9-2, nine 9-2 and, two, nine and, two and, and nil. Um, Chelsea, 11 matches played, now, 29 goal difference, okay, plus 29. Okay, Four right. goals allowed. Settle down, Skip. 33 goals scored. Okay. Now, in fairness, there are three currently unbeaten teams in the EPL. So it's not as if City is this, uh, this one shining uh, castle on a hill. It's City, Chelsea, and Liverpool. All, all three teams are undefeated in the league. Chelsea and Liverpool are both sitting at 8-3. City at nine and two. It's not like they've run away with this league to start the season. It is interesting, and I I have to think to some extent, even for a City fan, it has to be a little bit disheartening to want to kind of puff out your chest and make it seem like this City team is going to be, uh, you know, an unbeatable force. Maybe they will be, but to see Chelsea and Liverpool also stepping up, Chelsea, who was a relative non-factor last year, uh, to have surged back to, you know, not just relevance, but but really to a Champions League spot. And this is what happens two, when Chelsea try. Behind. Yeah, when they try, this is what they get. This is what happens when Antonio Conte is uh, is canned. And uh, you know, they've Liverpool, done this every other year though. I know they, they, they do. I know. Recycle Mourinho, managers. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I look at you know uh, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. They're also only two points back now. Liverpool to me is if if I'm a City fan, the one team that I look f- that I look at as being the legitimate threat for probably the next three four years, it's Liverpool. Because Klopp is not only a great player manager and, and tactician and tactical mind, he's also a guy who knows how to build a program and build it to an elite status. He is, after all, the, the guy who led Borussia Dortmund to taking down Bayern and, and stopping what would have been a, a you know beyond a historic run of, of um, Bundesliga wins. So I, I don't know. I, I look at what Liverpool has built. I look at what Klopp does. And, you know... While Chelsea does this flip-flop between caring, not caring, being at the top of the table, being a middle-of-the-table team, and disappointment and everybody's going to burn, Liverpool, to me, is a consistent. Now, Tottenham, at fourth in the table, they're 8-0-3. They're only five points off the pace. Tottenham, to me, is is the team that I, I think I hate the most in the EPL. And it's not that I, I actually go out of my way to hate them. It's just I think they're so irrelevant. You know, they have one of the best players in the country in Harry Kane. And to me, I can't be bothered to watch Tottenham play. 
And when people try to get behind this hype train that, oh, you know, maybe this is Tottenham's year, I keep saying, like, why? What is it that Tottenham does so extremely well that they belong in the conversation with the elite? You know, people get upset that Manchester United gets so much TV time and they're seventh in the table. And, and Jose Mourinho, you know, it's kind of like a, a will he, won't he self-destruct. Well, he, he's tried multiple times. The board won't fire him. The fans booed him off the field. And then, you know, what what looked like might have been his last game, I think it was match day six or match day seven. They thought it might be his last home game. It was a poor result. He went over and he actually thanked the fans. And it was a much longer, um, uh, a longer process for him getting off the field. You know, people get upset that that United are there, but, you know, United actually drive ratings. Tottenham, to me, I, I, I just don't get it. I really don't. Arsenal playing much better under Unai Emery. Unai Emery? Emery? Yeah, Emery. Emery. Um, fifth in the table, like, that's that's an improvement. And uh, I don't think they miss Arsene Wenger at all. I actually ran into a uh, an Arsenal fan a couple weeks ago. And uh, here's a personal anecdote. I said, how do you feel about Emery versus uh, Wenger? Do you miss Wenger at all? And he's like, yeah, actually, I do. I'm like, well, Arsenal's playing a, a much more enjoyable style to, to watch. Like, what's the deal? And he's like, well, you know, the one thing that Wenger did was he could take in a guy who the team acquired at a low cost and then, you know, end up making him somebody that was worthwhile and, and of high value to sell. He made these guys better. He's like, I don't know if Emery's going to be that guy. I feel like Emery's starting with a, a, a better team than Wenger had at, you know, throughout most of the last years of his career at Arsenal. And so you just don't know. You won't know for a while exactly how good he is at, at managing these players and developing young players. But I don't know. I, I look at this table. It's like Bournemouth is obviously surprised at six, but I don't know, man. Well, like, let me respond quickly about that point you just made about Emery and the talent at Arsenal. That individual you spoke to can dump on Emery and his accomplishments thus far by saying that he has a better side than Wenger had in the last few seasons. My rejoinder to that would be, yeah, but Wenger didn't do anything with those players last season or the season before that. Arsenal were floating in uh, irrelevance, and they weren't good enough. And Emery, at least now, is is delivering a predictable, solid, excellent product. I mean, top five in the Premier League is an excellent team. Whether they make the Champions League places or not, they're really good right now. And there's a lot of value to be found, not just in taking a player you didn't spend a lot of money for and making him valuable, but recovering value you're losing. You know, you spent all that money on Aubameyang and you spent all that money on Lacazette and under Wenger, they were floundering and Emery's got them playing. There's a lot of value to that. Look, when Pep Guardiola took over Man City, I know you don't like to talk about Man City, even though they're the best team in the Premier League by a damn sight, in my opinion. Raheem Sterling was a mess. He was a disaster, and they'd spent a lot of money on him. And Guardiola made it his project, among the many things that he's done, to make Raheem Sterling at least as good as what his transfer value was. And he's probably come close to making Sterling worth one and a half times what they paid for him at this point. Sterling is one of the best players they have. That's a skill. That's something that has a lot of value. So I'm not going to discount what Emery has done by taking excellent players and make them play to the level that they can play to. I'm just glad that uh, that I'm going to get to have another full season of, of you boasting about Pep Guardiola and his genius. Well, let me go did, one did more. You, you, did, no, no, hold no, you on, have... no, 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 hold on. Did you, um, did you watch any of the All or Nothing series on Amazon Prime? Following, I have not Following City and, uh, and Pep. It really is interesting. Listening to him curse, I think, is is one of the uh, the more enjoyable things that I've seen in the uh, footballing world in, in the last year or so. It, it really is interesting to kind of get an idea of where his mind is. 
between training and, and getting out to games. And I don't know. I, I feel like anytime you get to see a guy in his natural element and you get to see him away from the typical context of just, you know, a couple little media availabilities here and there and then seeing him on the sideline, actually getting to see the way that he interacts with his players, I think is, is fascinating. So I I'll would tell you what I have that. watched. I've watched the uh, NBC Sports special about last year's city championship run to win the league title. And, you know, wisely, I think, they started it with Guardiola's first season at City, which was not particularly successful, and where his style wasn't translating right because he didn't have the right players, because he was new to the league, whatever you want to say. And he was a prickly bastard in a lot of the post-match interviews that he was compelled to do. I am not convinced that Pep Guardiola is all sunshine, happiness, and roses all the time. I think he's extremely demanding, and I think he has very high expectations. And as long as things are going well, he's probably really pleasant to be around. But just the snippets that I saw from his first season, stuff that I had forgotten that he had said and done, reminded me that underneath the surface with Guardiola, there's a pretty miserable individual just waiting to come out when things go south. Now, the other thing I'll say, though, is you know, you're... you're spooling about Liverpool and how close they are to being City. Let me tell you something. Guardiola went into Anfield earlier this season, and but for one of the worst penalty misses in the history of professional sports, which Riyad Mahrez skied over the bar, but for that penalty miss, City goes in Anfield, grinds out a 1-0 win, you know, ifs and buts, reason nuts. Liverpool would have 26, City would have 31, or uh, pardon me, 32. The point being, it's little margins like that, little things that happen in the course of the season that change narratives. Right now, City and Liverpool look much closer than they really ought should be. I can live with it, though, because as far as I'm concerned, City's squad depth is so much more impressive than Liverpool's squad depth. And, and again, you talked a lot about Klopp putting together a program and having a plan, and you're right about all of that. But is Liverpool's ownership group going to be able to spend the way Abu Dhabi is going to spend at Manchester City, I kind of doubt it. I just don't see that happening. I think City's going to bludgeon Liverpool with money for the next five to ten years minimally. And this is probably about as good as you're going to see Liverpool be for eh, two or three years, I'm guessing. Whereas I don't think you have those problems at City. City have ready-made replacements for some of the guys that are going to age out. And if they don't have those, they'll just go buy some more. Well, you're just so sweet. You are pretty as a peach, and you are not smug at all. Um, we Predictable, not, we, at least. Yeah, we didn't uh, talk about Serie A at all. Um, I, I don't really know if there's a whole lot to cover right now. Uh, when you look at Serie A, Juventus, of course, led by Cristiano Ronaldo, who is on pace right now, more than a point per game. He's got 12 points in 11 matches uh, in uh, within that table. Um, They're 10, 10 and 1. They haven't seen a loss yet this season. They are cl- followed pretty closely, only six points off the pace by Inter Milan and Napoli, both of whom are 8-1-2, are and two, both running you know positive goal differentials. Napoli, actually, right now um, has... Uh, I misread that. They have a, a, a plus-12 goal differential. Inter has 15, and Juve's got 16. They're the only teams in, in Serie A right now with a positive goal differential of, of 10 or more. So... Um, not a whole lot to take away from the, the early portion of that season, except it it looks like Juventus is going to likely hold off those other teams, barring some kind of cataclysmic whatever. I do want to point out the fact that in their most recent matchup, uh, Juventus beat Cagliari. And who scored the first goal for the uh, the, uh, the Juve? 
Why don't you Any go idea? ahead and tell me? Why don't you My favorite Argentine player, the guy who got screwed in the World Cup, and of course that's Paulo Dybala, who scored in the first minute of the game. So uh, Nice I'm, little player. Yeah, nice little player. Guy who, uh, <laughs> Guy who should have been on the field for Argentina probably would have helped them not be a flame out like they were. But, you know, who am I? I'm just a guy. Um, I, I don't know if you saw the thing that happened with uh, Gonzalo Higuain and his comments um, in, in recent weeks, but Higuain essentially animated that he didn't want to leave Juventus. He didn't want to be forced out, but the, with the, the addition of Cristiano Ronaldo, he just kind of felt like there, there wasn't anything that he could do. He wanted to play with Ronaldo, um, but ended up getting himself, you know, sent away. And now he's uh, playing for Milan. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I feel kind of bad for the guy. Like, it's not like AC Milan's a bad team. It's not like it's a bad place to play. They are a team that used to, you know, 10 years ago, found a lot of uh, a lot of success. But um, you, you want see, me to feel you, bad for a multi, 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 multi millionaire? Look, I, I feel I feel like it's a shame because... I feel for Iguain in a similar way that I kind of feel for Kaylor Navas for Real Madrid. I feel like these guys did a lot to help their clubs find glory at the at the club level. Now, in Navas's case, it was also at the Champions League level. But for Iguain to not be given an opportunity to continue to play, it's not like their ownership was hurting for money. For him not to be able to be a guy who's playing at center forward for this team, Dybala on one flank and Ronaldo on the other, like I, I don't understand it conceptually. Iguain to me is a guy who could have done a lot of that dirty work that Benzema does or did for Ronaldo to set up a lot of his uh, clean finishes. So I was disappointed on on multiple levels as a fan of of you know watching Juventus and and wanting to see the best uh, footballers in the world take the look. The I pitch apologize, together, but. I apologize again for making this so city-centric because I guess it's all I know, really. But I watched Manchester City cast Joe Hart aside like a Joe Hart was old trash and you piece know of it. salmon. Because he was well, an old piece of salmon. Well, but the thing is, he had won the Golden Gloves a number of times. He was Bobby Abreu won a Gold won. Glove for the Phillies. Was he really a Gold Glover? Was he? Was he, Phil? Was he? That's, that's a disrespectful comparison, Joe Hart to Bobby Abreu. Uh, Abreu couldn't carry You're right, carry Bobby, Joe Abreu, Bobby Abreu uh, won a home run derby. Yeah, okay. What great. did Joe Hart ever win? What did Joe Hart ever win? My point being, whether you think Joe Hart was any good as a keeper or not, uh, and don't make me start in on Juventus keepers who age their way out of playing, because we can go Don't you dare go after Gigi Buffon. He's finding success with PSG. How dare oh, you? Fantastic. How dare you, sir? You will not besmirch his good name. Another Italian statue in France. That's all I need. Oh, great. Um, look... These clubs cast guys off, whether they are better than average players, great players, club legends. Everybody's time comes. And I hate to say it, uh, if I'm Igain, anybody asks me why I got cast aside, well, they brought Ronaldo in. What the hell was I supposed to do? Ronaldo's one of the like three or four best players of the last 50 years. That's If anything, it's a credit to Igain that that's who they bring in to replace you. So I wouldn't sweat it for him. He's doing fine. All right. Okay. <sighs> Phil. Phil, Phil, Phil. Aren't um, you glad we're back? I am. I'm I'm also kind of stuck on thinking about Joe Hart. Remember when he grew the stash? Uh his last season. I remember season for a City. lot of regrettable he, things that Joe. He grew Hart that did. mustache. He looked like he, he was an extra for the Luftwaffe or something. I don't know. Uh, well the I, other problem was obviously even when they brought Pellegrini in to manage, he didn't fit that style at that point. He fit when Mancini was the manager because Mancini was grinding out results defensively and 
Hart was a great shot stopper. He didn't do a lot else that was great, but he would he would get in front of balls and keep them out of the net. But he can't distribute worth a lick, and he certainly couldn't. You know, once Guardiola got there, he knew he was done. Everybody knew he was done. The problem is, when you look at what Hart has had to do since he left City, you know, toiling in places like West Ham and Burnley, and I think the other day I saw he gave up like four or five for Burnley. It's just sad. It's like Willie May stumbling around in center field for the Mets at the end of his career. Like, at some point, have the pride to say, this isn't for me anymore. I've made enough money, and now I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, speaking of money and making it and having a lot of it, let's get into a, uh, a couple TV rights things that uh, some networks spent a lot of money to get the, the rights to Serie A, um, and it looks like there might be some issues going on with La Liga. But before we get into... Networks that spend money, legitimately spend money on rights. Why don't we talk about a fun thing that happened in the Middle East? And of course, that would be the fact that uh, Qatar, and by extension, or maybe I should have switched this up, but BN Sports, by virtue of being uh, part of Al Jazeera, which is uh, based in Qatar, they are, have accused on multiple levels, and La Liga has also accused now on multiple levels, in addition to, uh, to UEFA, that Saudi Arabia, who started up the network Be Out Q, who you know, effectively pirated games from the Premier League and also from La Liga, amongst others, uh, they essentially jammed the signal uh, coming out of Qatar and force-fed their... Uh, their network i guess if you want to call it that be out q uh so now it, it looks like it's going to go to some kind of international court the saudis i can't imagine that the saudis would ever be involved in something that could be nefarious or uh or questionable but um yeah here we are 2018 it's very trumpy isn't it uh it's it's very something i don't know what it is exactly but uh it's you very know. like, we're doing this. Yeah, We've decided it's... we're going to do this. We know that it's not technically legal or right or even at any level ethical or moral. Um, but we're doing it because we can. And until someone forcibly stops us from doing it, guess what? Here it is. Um, you know, I, I keep saying this about a lot of things that are going on in the world. Um, you can say one thing about uh, Saudi Arabia and, and a lot of these stories that we're talking about. At least they are consistent. Yeah. Um, so there, there are some issues to say that there are issues in the Middle East would be, uh, putting it lightly, but the fact that it's now, uh, found itself in the middle of this, uh, within some soccer games is, uh, a little bit silly, a little bit. How's that world cup looking by the way? Oh God. I can't wait till we have a world cup in the winter because, uh, newsflash, it seemed like nobody knew this when they decided to vote on the world cup, but, uh, it's freaking hot in the Middle East. You're not going to be like, like, you're not going to be able to, uh, to uh, take the 120-degree temperatures and drop them down to, you know, a nice cool 72 on the inside of some uh, slave labor-built arena. So They have hydration breaks when it gets to be over 80 degrees in most soccer matches, and rightfully so. It's a high-exertion sport. Can you imagine how many hydration breaks you're going to have to run if, for whatever reason, they can't get the air conditioning running or they the have to have vibration. keep up? They'll have to have it for the people trying to get to the game. For sure. Yeah, it's uh, th- there are so many things wrong with it's this. It's going to end badly. It it certainly will not start well, and it, yes, it will not end well either. Um, did we actually record a, a show since the U.S. and Canada and Mexico got the joint bid? All right, that's for another day, but uh, at least we do have a World Cup coming, coming back to the States uh, at some point. So 
Um, let's move on to other TV deals of, of note. So Serie A's rights were sold just prior to the season to ESPN as part of the ESPN Plus platform. And they've been airing a Serie A match of the week, uh, either on ESPN or ESPN2. They haven't really gone out of their way. I, I've only seen a few matches on ESPN Plus, and, and I've seen some of the reviews that people have had to their coverage. It hasn't been negative. It, I, I think for the most part, people are happy that Serie A is easier to come by now by virtue of the subscription service. It's only $5 a month. I know that you know you and I are probably in agreement that the cost of that service is going to jump quite a bit as they acquire more uh, rights. But not only did they get Serie A, but they also got the Coppa Italia rights. And so... You know, you talk about this is some drug dealer stuff, by the way. Why? Putting ESPN Plus at five dollars a month, it's oh, disgraceful. Okay, okay because they're just they're just getting you to give them a credit card number that you hit for five dollars a month on. You don't notice it, you don't think about it, you don't care, and you probably don't even notice the press release when they jump it to fifteen. Yeah, I mean, and then it, after it could, that thirty, it very well could happen. The one thing that I will say that they were smart about is they kind of seem to be lying and wait for a while, and then as soon as the news broke that Ronaldo might be going to Juventus, they jumped all over it. Ronaldo goes official, ESPN signs the deal, and they look brilliant. And and BN, who I would say bungled their coverage a lot of uh, of Serie A, the one thing that they did that I liked um, towards the end was they did multi-calcio, and for those who don't know, calcio, C-A-L-C-I-O, is the word in Italian for soccer. Um, it was essentially kind of like an NFL red zone version of what would happen in Serie A, so at, at, at any given time they might bounce around between a few games. I thought it was kind of cool. But... um. Results have been pretty solid. The feedback has been solid. It doesn't look like ESPN's going out of the way. They're certainly not sending uh, a ton of people out to cover these matches on site. Uh, it looks like they're going to be adopting a similar thing to like what BN does with Phil Shin and, and Ray Hudson and, and having them you know call these games from a distance. But that's okay. Like I think at some point they might you know get themselves involved in doing some more on site things. Um, you know maybe not quite as often as. You know, NBC, for example, sending um, Rebecca Lowe and, and crew out to uh, to a game at Old Trafford or wherever, or at Stamford Bridge or, or wherever that is. Um, I, I do think that it, it is a good move on ESPN's part to get their feet wet with this, especially knowing that at some point uh, in the very near future, La Liga's rights could be coming up. Uh, it might be actually sooner than later, which I want to talk about. But I think them getting some more experience... You know, they've, they've got plenty of sports on their platform. They have some NHL games. They've had some MLS games. They get, you know, plenty of college sports going through there. I think it's a brilliant idea for them to bring in uh, a league, especially one that has one of the brightest stars in the world and Cristiano Ronaldo. And, and honestly, it's a, it's a good business move. Well, they struck at the right time with the Ronaldo move, no question about it. Uh, I would gently suggest, however, that the time to secure La Liga's rights was five or ten years ago. Um Again, Lionel Messi, not as young as he used to be, still great, um, and probably a viable commodity at the highest level for three to four years, I guess, maybe, uh, but no Ronaldo anymore. And we've already discussed how fallow Real Madrid is right now. That probably won't stay that way forever. But whoever buys La Liga's rights the next time they come up, they're going to have to do it a little bit on the common, hope that they can bank on Real Madrid to sort it out and for Barcelona to be able to... Uh, squeeze the last value out of Messi while he's still great, and then also backfill knowing that he's eventually not going to be there. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking at what has been going on with La Liga with their, their rights. So Javier Tebas, the president of La Liga, said that the um, the price for the TV rights 
uh, from 2019 to 2022 is going to jump by about 30 percent so uh that's that's going to be a thing so um telefonica got the uh the most recent contract for about three billion euro uh yeah three billion euros so if, if you look at what it might cost uh, a u.s network uh, it's certainly not going to be quite that much um there just isn't enough of a draw right now on the U.S. side, but I, I would think that it, it could go in the hundreds of millions. Maybe it, maybe it could at, at at best touch a billion dollars in TV rights. It really does depend. It, and and honestly, this is kind of I think where we come back to um, BN falling apart and why certain uh, networks and and certain companies have been unwilling to work with them. So uh, I used to have Comcast uh, maybe like three four years ago. We switched to FiOS about, I don't know, I guess it was two years ago, we switched to Fios. And part of that was Comcast never showed BN in HD. And so, you know, Fios did. Now, the one issue that I had with with Fios was at the beginning of the season, um, they had dropped BN and was part of this like long back and forth of, oh, you know, we're trying to secure the best price for BN coverage. And then BN would say, well, we're trying to get on lower tier packages so that you don't have to get the higher cable packages to get our, our channel, all that nonsense. So I ended up cutting the cord. I went with Sling. And one of the funny things that's happened is Comcast has had uh, multiple moments in public, and there have been leaks that have said effectively that Comcast has no intention of of re-upping with BN Sports. They don't actually believe that uh, BN Sports is going to have the rights to La Liga when that contract expires. You look at a, a company like DirecTV, owned by AT&T, trying to merge with Time Warner. Like This is a company that does not find itself in a position where they want nor care about the the future of BN. And actually, if I go back to Comcast for a second, Comcast, by virtue of them being linked with NBC, it actually does NBC a lot and NBC Sports a lot of good to watch BN, you know, die a, a slow, painful death because that just limits the field for, you know, the, the rights to Ligon or to La Liga, really between a consolidated field of maybe Turner Sports and BR Live, which we'll talk about, um, ESPN and the CSPN Plus platform, Fox and NBC. So if you're taking one of those major players out, one of those players being Qatari-backed and, and you know being somebody that uh, wants to splurge a lot of cash to be a relevant network, I mean, it, it certainly doesn't do Comcast or, for that matter, DirecTV any real issues uh, to, to drop this network from their coverage. It, I was going to give Comcast a ton of uh, credit and NBC Sports a ton of credit for uh, latching onto the Premier League and making it such a successful product as they have. And I was going to puff my chest out and talk about the relative merits of the Premier League versus La Liga and Serie A and all these others. But unfortunately, that argument falls pretty flat pretty quickly because uh, while the Premier League has five, maybe six very good to excellent clubs, they also have 10 or 11. They're really just more abundant, dracken, and not worth watching, which leads us to a subject we didn't really talk about in the run-up to this show, but it's out there. that There's this continuing uh, drumbeat and the specter of the possibility of a Super League in Europe. And we've talked about this once or twice before on the show. I don't really think that's ever going to happen. And the reason I gave the last time was because, you know, if, if you're the 15th or 16th best team in the Super League and you're getting your head beat in every week by the likes of Man City and Barcelona, that's not really that great a deal for you. But... It does suggest that um, that might be the only way to make a league competition that is truly interesting and competitive on a week-to-week basis because, unfortunately, 
there are just too many times we've seen it in La Liga and certainly the Premier League in recent seasons where the best teams not only beat the worst teams, they submit them, they dance around them, they come just short of humiliating them. And so I guess my question is, what is the top end or what is the best way to maximize value for any of these league rights for any of these networks when the leagues themselves are inherently flawed? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, Phil. I, I think a lot of it has to come down to, as a network, you have to identify who the biggest stars in the sport are or who the biggest money back teams are going to be and just decide that you're going to roll out coverage that, that is really going to promote the top four top four, top four, four or six clubs. But that's unfortunate it, for it is because, NBC Sports well, because I mean, City have the most money, but, but they don't think, have the name recognition. Yeah, so, so I guess part of this is think about what happened with NBC's coverage, right? They, they used to do a really good job of trying to mix in every team. And then they had the, um, the NBC Sports app where you could go on and you could stream any of the games. And then where I think they made a mistake is the NBC Sports Gold and the Gold subscription where, like, say you're a Bournemouth fan. Well, Bournemouth's, what, six in the table? Like, they should be a team that's featured on TV. Do they have any real drawing power? No. And so you're not going to see them on they're TV. They're not staying power either. Like, yeah. they're not going to be six But, like, year. let's let's just imagine for a second that they go with, like, the, kind of like a Leicester City season. They come, they come out of nowhere. They stay somewhere around sixth. Like, imagine being a fan of that club in the U.S. And I can't imagine there are that many. But, you know, do they deserve to, to be featured on TV? Sure. You know, you see what this kind of thing happens in other leagues with flex scheduling. It just doesn't feel like that that's currently set up. And so, okay, like if you wanted to follow this Bournemouth team, like say you're new to, to watching these teams or there's something about them that you like, now you have to go pay this premium to go do the NBC Sports Gold app. And that to me, I think is where they fundamentally screwed up here. Like in ESPN's case with ESPN Plus, like you know right off the bat it's going to be a $5 fee and that's it. And then like you get access to all these other sports. Don't get me started on BR Live and the fact that I think what they're doing right now is a racket for the poor coverage that they've given a, a fundamentally flawed app and the fact that like if you go on there and I don't know if you've checked out BR Live at all, but they they don't just charge you a flat fee to uh, to sign up, they they also charge you by league. So if you decide that you want to follow the Scottish league, like that might be seventeen dollars. I like do they have the rights to it? Sure. If you want the Champions League or if like say you wanted NBA League Pass, well okay, so NBA League Pass is still twenty eight ninety nine. And then like say you want um Champions League, like I think it's another twenty dollars a month. Like pretty soon you're paying more for, you know, some basic sports coverage uh on, on their app than you would have for cable. And so like on one hand where I think it's a really great thing that we're seeing a lot of these companies stepping up and and bringing rights and and bringing these rights to the U.S. and making them somewhat affordable, I, I also kind of look at this and go, man, you know, are we doing what's best for people? Now I just pulled up BR Live's site, and now it looks like they've just introduced a soccer pass for nine ninety nine a month, and that includes Champions League, Europa League, Scottish League, Belgian Pro League, and more. So it looks like they must have taken some of the initial feedback because when I was on there. Uh, two weeks ago, they did not have this option. It, it was, you know, pay as you go, and it was. But didn't you say that that app or their broadcast crashed in the middle of a Champions yeah, so League was, group stage was, game? Yeah, it was early in their Champions League coverage. They actually had a couple things go wrong. One of the matches, um, the the start of the game was delayed four minutes, and it was clear that they had everything timed up in in a computer somewhere that it was going to cut to pre recorded. Um, um, cutaways 
where I think it was Kate Abdo setting up like what halftime was going to be about. Well, since the game was delayed four minutes, that meant that it cut the game off. Like the first half got cut four minutes That's short. That's some Y2K nonsense. Yeah, is what it that seriously is. was. And so you missed a few minutes of the end of the first half, and then they never really recovered. Like everything was just off. Um, so you get a refund was, then? Yeah, good question. Um, and then later that week, the entire service crashed. There, there was a whole thing um, where there was a, a large contingent of fans who said for 30, 35 minutes, they missed out on an entire match because, or like that huge chunk of a match um, because the BR Live app crashed. And so, I don't know. Look, I think that there are certain kinds of things that you can reasonably expect when a new app is rolled out. And, you know, I think, again, like to some extent, I think that's why ESPN Plus has been so successful. You know, there had been the the talks of um, Disney going and creating their own app for all of their content, pulling all of their, their kids' movies and everything off of Netflix. You know, to me, I guess ESPN Plus is kind of the pilot for that and making sure that they can sustain the traffic, all of that kind of stuff. BR Live seemed a little bit clunky. They have one nice thing that I would say is, is kind of cool. They have spoiler mode or uh, spoiler-free mode. So instead of you seeing uh, the result of your match when you go to check it out, you don't have to do that. Yeah, it, it'll just kind of show what the matchups where you can pick it and then you can play it without spoilers. If there's one thing that BR Live does that's kind of cool, and they're doing this in, in basketball and in soccer, for for two ninety nine, you can watch one specific game. So if you decided that you didn't want to pay this like this new nine ninety nine soccer pass for the month, uh, you could pay in theory to watch one game for three dollars. I don't know why you would do that, but again, I don't remember this being a thing a couple of weeks ago. They must have gotten bad feedback about charging people twenty dollars a league or fifteen dollars a league, and they've decided to to roll out this pass. So you know, I guess kudos to them for listening to the market. Um, well, I apologize uh, to our listeners for railing on and on about these financial issues. But then again, we didn't charge them to listen to this podcast, so they're ahead in that regard. The problem and the fundamental issue that I have with ESPN Plus as opposed to the BR app is if you're a cord cutter and you're going to get your sports from online providers, mm-hmm. that's great because you're not paying a cable bill. No big deal. I get zipped for a cable bill every month that is higher than like my car payments when I was getting out of law school. And ESPN is a big part of that. And they've made no bones about the fact that uh, they've lost subscribers and they have to find ways to make up that revenue. Well, essentially what they're doing is they're zipping me twice. They're hitting me twice, which I find outrageous. Look, if I'm going to pay all this money for ESPN on cable, then the stuff they're putting on plus, I should be able to get a hold of for a small premium or nothing more at all. And you can jack up ESPN plus to 10 or $20 a month and get the cord cutters because I'm already been, I've already been hit. I already gave it the office. That's my problem with ESPN. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I, I do think that if they're able to put out a product in this app that is intuitive, is user-friendly, and ultimately they're able to get um, more leagues and make them a, a more easily accessible or a better overall product for the fan, like being able to play multiple games at once to kind of do like a, a multi-screen view where you can pick, I want these couple of Serie A matches. I would like, you know, two La Liga matches off to the side. I, I think that would be kind of cool. And I think they might end up going that way at some point because, you know, as sports gambling gets legalized across the country, that to me is like the next big thing, right? There's going to be the the push to in-game betting on a lot of these uh, these matches. So the more matches you can watch at your home and make it feel kind of like that casino kiosk uh, where you've got you know ten different games up, uh, probably the better. 
they'll probably get more subscribers. Now, to an earlier point that you made, of course, it would be disappointing to see that it's $5 a month and then out of nowhere it's, you know, 15 or 20 But again, you start getting so used to having that and having that kind of coverage and having that kind of an app, at some point you are willing to pay a premium. I will say that as a cord cutter, it is disappointing. The, the package that I have through Sling, um, I, we don't get ESPN. We use a like, secondary account on my, uh, my parents' Comcast account, uh, which is what a lot of people my age do. But you, know, you can't DVR ESPN that way. You can't, yeah, it's even the same thing with NBCSN Philly. Like, you can't DVR those, those games, which is a shame. You have to watch everything on a replay or try to find a highlight clip somewhere. But um, that's, that's all rambling of, uh, of, of that kind of stuff. There were a few questions that we got on Twitter, so I want to make sure that we address those really quick. Um, Vincent Hale, who was one of the people that we initially had shouted out, asked, uh, does Laton play in Europe ever again? Obviously, uh, LA Galaxy fell just short of making the MLS playoffs. And he what he doesn't sound like he was impressed with the EPL. I don't know where he would land. I would think that maybe Serie A. I have a weird kind of feeling that if he were going to go back to a league, he might try to end it there. That's just me. Maybe he you goes can't to, to enter or something. But I, I don't see him go back to the EPL. And La Liga, like unless he decided that he was going to try to bring Real Madrid back to glory or something, uh, like that would be fun. Sign me up for uh, for Real having a 4-4-2 that has Benzema and uh, Ibrahimovic up top. Not a lot of Well, speed, that's a tricky but... question, too, because the question, does he ever play in Europe again? Yeah, for five matches, maybe. For 11, for 16. I would never bet against that. But if you're asking me if he'll be the focal point of a club for more than three quarters of a season, I've got to think no. Yeah, you might be right. Um, Frank Frank Barber, who's one of the other people that we shouted out early, uh, brought up a, a thing that I think I texted you about in the middle of the week. And maybe this is something that we... Uh, focus in on next week but there was the uh the report i'm trying to remember which uh it was it was one of the german sites it might have been the site i don't remember which one it was but um the report that the uh, a lot of the top european teams have been essentially colluding in uh or or collaborating behind closed doors to create a european super league um, and the, the European League would include teams... It was Der Spiegel. Der Spiegel's usually the one who reports this kind of stuff and breaks these things. Um, they said 11 European clubs um, had, had been part of this, including uh, like uh, Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and Barcelona, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City. I, I, I don't know if it'll happen. I, I think this is maybe this is something that we should talk about next week and, and really dedicate a lot of time to. But, you know, you ask the question about if you're a network and you're bringing in these rights and you're paying all this money, you know, how do you maximize it? I don't know if you do. It, if this were to come to fruition, which they kind of brought up as, as being something as early as 2021 and and each of these teams pulling out of their respective leagues so you, you know you would obviously cripple la liga and to some extent the epl and Serie A would lose juventus and and the bundesliga would lose dortmund and, and bayern i mean the damage that it would do financially to these leagues would be something that you just couldn't quantify and the the existence or lack thereof of, of pro rel in a, in a super league i don't know I, I think this is something that we should get into next week but i don't know if well we talked about it for three or four minutes earlier in this show and I made the point that if you are one of the lesser teams in this Super League, be it 11 or 10 teams or 16, which was what I had posited, 
Um, what's the value in it for you if you're the 14th or 15th or the ninth or 10th best team in this Super League and you keep getting thumped by the very best teams? That was one point I made. A related point for me is, look, by virtue of all of these leagues keeping their best clubs, their three, their four, their five, their two best clubs, they at least perpetuate the appearance of greatness or at least very goodness of all of those teams. If you create this Super League, and as I indicated, someone's got to win and someone's got to lose, now you've distilled either 16 or 14 or 12 or 10 or even eight um, of these great clubs down into essentially one or two or three because no one's going to care who finishes in the middle of the pack in the Super League. And that can give them credit for having played better competition. They're just going to look at them and say, well, they're not that good. They're not good enough. I don't think it's in anybody's best interest to do it that way, to pour these teams in. That's what the Champions League is supposed to be. I don't think you need a league season of these clubs playing each other in rotation over and over again. And oh, by the way, I don't think I want to watch Manchester City and Chelsea play eight times or six times or four now, times a year. See, this is where I like it the way this it is. is. Why we're going to expand on this next week because I, I fundamentally disagree with this. I would rather watch these elite teams play each other week in and week out than watch uh, Juventus beat up on like Cagliari. To be honest, uh, then it stops being special, though. I, yeah, it, it stops you being know what, special. Though, you, you could be right, but again, like I, I, I think there is something to be said for watching the best in the world play head to head week after week. You could be right. Let's talk about it again next week. Um, Joe Stringer asked about thoughts on TNT coverage. We'll address that on the next episode. My battery's about to die, uh, <laughs> so. Uh, you mean spiritually or now, technologically? You know what? I think it might be a little bit of both. It's been a while since you and I recorded an episode together, and it was very nice to get back on the saddle. Back in the saddle? On the saddle? In the saddle? Um, back at it again with you, with you, Phil. So um, go check out the other shows in Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossing Broadcast with myself and Kyle. Uh, Kyle Scott, who runs the site. You can find him on Twitter at Crossing Broad. Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast with uh, Bob and Anthony. You can find them on Twitter at BW Crossing Broad and at Ant San Philly. Snow the Goalie with Anthony and myself uh, down covering in the, uh, all Flyers home games. We've been doing a uh, pregame and intermission show. So if you're a Flyers fan, make sure you go check those things out. We've been live streaming those on Facebook Live and on Periscope. So uh, check those out. Uh, Anthony, again, is on Twitter at Ant San Philly. Go check out uh, our sister soccer podcast. It's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and Dave Zeitlin on Twitter at Kevin, Kevin underscore Kincaid and at Dave Zeitlin. Uh, they I'm sure are going to continue throughout this offseason to break down the union's shortcomings and what it means for the team going forward. And uh, you know, it, Phil, it was good to be with you again. So uh, Phil is on Twitter at Phil Kydell. That's K E I D E L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kydell. For, for Phil, I'm Russ, and uh, we will talk to you again next week.